Letter seventy eight of Pamela, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Pamela, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter seventy eight. My dear lady, now I will proceed with my former subject and with the greater pleasure as what follows makes still more in favour of the countess's character than what went before although that set it in a better light than it had once appeared to me in i began as follows will you be pleased sir to favour me with the continuation of our last subject i will my dear you left off sir with acquitting me for breaking out into that flood of tears which occasions your abrupt departure but dear sir will you be pleased to satisfy me about that affecting information of your intention and my ladies to live at Tunbridge together? Tibbs' absolute malice and falsehood. Our intimacy had not proceeded so far, and, thoughtless as my sister's letters suppose the lady, she would have spurned at such a proposal, I dare say. Well, but then, sir, as to the expression to her uncle, that she had rather have been a certain gentleman's second wife? I believe she might, in a passion, say something like it to him. He had been teasing her from the time that I held an argument in favor of that foolish topic, polygamy, in his company and his nieces, and in that of her sister and the Viscount, with cautions against conversing with a man who, having, as he was pleased to say behind my back, married beneath him, wanted to engage the affections of a lady of birth in order to recover, by doubling that fault upon her, his lost reputation. She despised his insinuation enough to answer him that she thought my arguments in behalf of polygamy were convincing. This set him a-raving, and he threw some coarse reflections upon her, which could not be repeated, if one may guess at them, by her being unable to tell me them, and then to vex him more, and to revenge herself, she said something like what was reported, which was handle enough for her uncle, who took care to propagate it with an indiscretion peculiar to himself, for I heard it in three different companies before I knew anything of it from herself and when I did, it was so repeated, as you, my dear, would hardly have censured her for it, the provocation considered. Well, but then, dear sir, there is nothing at all amiss, at this rate, in the correspondence between my lady and you? Not on her side, I dare say, if her ladyship can be excused to punctilio, and for having a greater esteem for a married man than he can deserve, or then may be strictly defended to a person of your purity and niceness. "'Well, sir, this is very noble in you. I love to hear the gentleman generous in points where the honour of our sex is concerned. But pray, sir, what then was there on your side in that matter that made you give me so patient and so kind a hearing?' "'Now, my dear, you come to the point. At first it was nothing in me but vanity, pride, and love of intrigue to try my strength where I had met with some encouragement, as I thought, at the masquerade.' where the lady went farther too than she would have done had she not thought I was a single man. For, by what I have told you, Pamela, you will observe, that she tried to satisfy herself on that head as soon as she well could. Mrs. Nelthorpe acquainted me afterwards, when better known to each other, that her lady was so partial in my favour. Who can always govern their fancies, my dear? as to think so early as at the masquerade that if everything answered appearances and that i were a single man she who has a noble and independent fortune might possibly be induced to make me happy in her choice supposing then that i was unmarried she left a signal for me in her handkerchief 
I visited her, had the honor, after the customary first shyness, of being well received, and continued my visits till, perhaps, she would have been glad I had not been married, but on finding I was, she avoided me, as I have told you, till the accident I mentioned threw us again upon each other, which renewed our intimacy upon terms you would think too inconsiderable on one side and too designing on the other. For myself, what can I say? Only that you gave me great disgusts without a cause, as I thought, by your unwanted reception of me, even in tears and grief, the countess ever cheerful and lively, and fearing that your temper was entirely changing, I believe I had no bad excuse to try to make myself easy and cheerful abroad, since my home became more irksome to me than ever I believed it could be. Then, as we naturally love those who love us, I had vanity, and some reason for my vanity, indeed all vain men believe they have, to think the countess had more than an indifference for me. She was so exasperated by the wrong methods taken with an independent lady of her generous spirit to break off our acquaintance, that in revenge she denied me less than ever opportunities of her company. The pleasure we took in each other's conversation was reciprocal. The world's reports had united us in one common cause, and you, as I said, had made home less delightful to me than it used to be. What might not then have been apprehended from so many circumstances concurring with the lady's beauty and my frailty? I waited on her to Tunbridge. She took a house there, where people's tongues will take so much liberty without any foundation, and where the utmost circumspection is used, what will they not say, where so little of the latter is observed? No wonder, then, that terms were said to be agreed upon between us, from her uncle's story, of polygamy proposed by me, and seemingly agreed to by her, no wonder that all your Thomasine Fuller's information was surmised. Thus stood the matter, when I was determined to give your cause for uneasiness a hearing, and to take my measures according to what should result from that hearing. From this account, dear sir, said I, it will not be so difficult as I fear to end this affair even to her ladyship's satisfaction. I hope not, my dear. But if, now, sir, the countess should still be desirous not to break with you from so charming a lady, who knows what may happen? Very true, Pamela. But to make you still easier, I will tell you that her ladyship has a first cousin, married to a person going with a public character to several of the Italian courts, and had it not been for my persuasions, she would have accepted of their earnest invitations, and passed a year or two in Italy, where she once resided for three years together, which makes her so perfect a mistress of Italian. Now I will let her know additionally to what I have written to her, the easiness I have given to you, and, so far as it is proper, what is to come to your ears, and your generous account of her, and the charms of her person, of which she will not be a little proud, for she has really noble and generous sentiments, and thinks well, though her sister, in pleasantry, will have it a little enviously of you, and when I shall endeavor to persuade her to go, for the sake of her own character, to a place and country of which she was always fond, I am apt to think she will come into it, for she has a greater opinion of my judgment than it deserves, and I know a young lord who may be easily persuaded to follow her thither, and bring her back his lady, if he can obtain her consent. And what say you, Pamela, to this? Oh, sir! I believe I shall begin to love the lady dearly, and that is what I never thought I should. I hope this will be brought about. But I see, give me leave to say, sir, how dangerously you might both have gone on, under the notion of this platonic love, till two precious souls had been lost, and this shoes one, as well in spirituals as temporals, from what slight beginnings the greatest mischiefs sometimes spring, and how easily at first a breach may be stopped. 
that when neglected, the waves of passion will widen till they bear down all before them. "'Your observation, my dear, is just,' replied Mr. B., "'and though I am confident the lady was more earnest than myself in the notion of platonic love, yet I am convinced, and always was, that platonic love is platonic nonsense. "'Tis the fly buzzing about the blaze, till its wings are scorched, or, to speak still stronger, it is a bait of the devil to catch the unexperienced and thoughtless, nor ought such notions to be pretended to, till the parties are five or ten years on the other side of their grand climateric. For age, old age, and nothing else must establish the barriers to platonic love. But this was my comparative consolation, though a very bad one, that I had swerved. I should not have given the only instance where persons more scrupulous than I pretended to be have begun friendships even with spiritual views, and ended them as grossly as I could have done, were the lady to have been as frail as her tempter. Here Mr. B. finished his narrative. He is now set out for Tunbridge with all my papers. I have no doubt in his honor and kind assurances, and hope my next will be a joyful letter, and that I shall inform you in it that the affair which went so near my heart is absolutely concluded to my satisfaction to Mr. B.'s and the Countess's, for if it be so to all three, my happiness, I do not doubt, will be founded on a permanent basis. Meantime, I am, my dear good lady, your most affectionate and obliged sister and servant, P.B. End of letter 78